Well, good evening. Um, we're making our way through the Apostles' Creed, as you know, and uh, it's very, very significant. I was raised in a church, as I said, the first time we broke out and talked about the, the phrase, I believe, where as a child, I memorized it. I memorized it as a little guy. I was an altar boy, and I would assist the priest in what they call the Mass, specifically in the Catholic Church, and it just... Uh, it's part of my life. And I made an announcement a few weeks ago, and I don't know if each pastor has. All five of us pastors are rotating on this series. But Debbie Conley, who's our children's director, have they said it again, other than what I said a few weeks ago? It's a form of bribery. And, uh, but it's very important. Your children, the teens, the teenagers, are going through the same teaching tonight that we are. And the children have been doing it maybe a few weeks before us. And here's, here's Debbie's bribe. For every child, and I know it's doable because I did it. For every child that can memorize the Apostles' Creed, they get a $25 card. And I said, what about us? <laughs> and she just gave me that look. That look. So encourage your kids. 25 bucks, not to mention, they'll never forget it. More importantly, they'll never forget it. And it is the gospel. Okay, so the part of the creed this evening, well, this, we're going to read it together, but the part of the creed this evening um, that I'm going to be touching on is um, Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But before we begin, let's read it together. You have it when you came in. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he arose again, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Stop there, Catholic small c. Not Catholic like in Catholic. Catholic like in the whole universal church. That's what it actually means. So I just got to we got to say that so everybody goes ooh I thought this was a okay non-denominational church <laughs> nothing wrong with the Catholic Church I was never I was raised Catholic okay on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father he will come to judge living and the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection and the body. In the life everlasting, amen. Okay, well, I believe that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. What in your life today seems impossible for God to do? Impossible. 
I mean, we know spiritually, we know intellectually that God can do anything. But I'm asking about how you truly feel about it. A long-standing trial that simply won't go away. There's no hope on the horizon for an answer or for change. And so we wonder. We're torn. We know that God can do anything. All things are possible. But we're torn. A wayward adult child that you've been praying for almost daily, will they ever really come back to Christ? And some of you might say, you don't know my child. Well, it doesn't matter. God knows your child. And especially, not only, but especially if they cut their teeth on a church pew, especially. Those are the words that come back to them later in life when they're anxious and broken-hearted. Those words come back. Because the Word of God is living and active. It's not dead ink on paper. They're alive. They're on fire. That's what they'll remember. It never goes out and doesn't come, it doesn't come back void, the Bible says. Um, is it a relationship that doesn't seem to be getting better? Um, you're locked up. It's their way. It's your way. You couldn't be more convinced that your way is the right way and their way is the wrong way. And of a fourth-stage cancer or an incurable disease. Absolutely impossible on paper. Even the physicians aren't giving you any hope. What seems impossible or like a real far reach for the Lord to do in order for you to feel different, be different, have confidence in Him? He can do anything, you know. Turn to Luke chapter 1. And we'll read the account, there's several accounts, a couple of accounts in the New Testament of the virgin birth. This is one of them out of the book of Luke. You talk about impossible. When these creeds came out, I told you early on that there was two main purposes for it. The number one purpose was that the Christians of that day would be solid and solidified in their belief and faith. That it would be unified, that it would be based on Scripture, that it would be based on the teachings of Jesus. And we would all have common ground, like we read tonight. We would all have common ground of the faith that we have and the belief that we've put in Christ, which is not just a knowledge, it's an actual heart commitment of our life. Believe is a verb, it can also be a noun, but the verb is active. So if you were to ask Americans 
if they were Christians, most of them would say yes. And many of them don't know Christ. Because it's based on, you know, his historical position. Like I said, that first teaching. I, I, I believe that Abraham was the 16th president, but I never met the man. I don't know him. So a lot of people say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But when it comes down to a heart commitment and a l- active trust in Christ, um, maybe not so much. Because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, and he is the way to eternal life, if you're going to follow me, you must pick up your cross. If you're going to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Cross implies pain. Cross implies the sacrifice of his shed blood. It implies eternal life, but it also implies suffering for you and I. You do that. That's what believe means. Remember I talked about the wheelbarrow? Some of you might think that. There was a, an, uh, uh, an athlete, a uh, tightrope walker, and uh, there was a bunch of people gathered around. Might have been the Grand Canyon. It was a canyon. And uh, he had a wheelbarrow, and he said to the crowd, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope? And uh, one young lady, he asked it a few times, and one young lady was very, very gregarious and said, oh, yeah, I, be- I believe definitely you can do it. And he said, you really believe I can do it? And she goes, yeah. He goes, okay, get in. <laughs> like, how much do you believe in Jesus? Get in. Pick up your cross. That's what it means. And if you've never done that, if it's more just like, well, I don't know, I was always taught this way. I've always known this. Well, that may not be enough. It's, it's a life surrender, amen? Amen. Okay, let's look at verse 26 in Luke chapter 1. This is one of the accounts of the virgin birth. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Let me just stop right there. So betrothed then was was a little bit more serious than even being engaged. It was essentially that they were already married by covenant. It's just that there wasn't uh, a consummation yet in the relationship, and they didn't live together yet. But they were legally married and as bound to each other legally as you would be today if you were married. So they were sworn to um, be together the rest of their life. Interestingly enough, one of the reasons they weren't married yet was because the, the husband would go away generally to his mother and father's home and on that property would start to build a house for he and his wife. So there was a time period before they can get married. You know what Jesus said? I go to prepare a place for you. 
And I will come back to you as my bride and take you to be with me. And so she was betrothed to be Joseph. She may have, she was his wife. It was just done a little bit different. They were sworn to fidelity and faithfulness. Nobody else. Um, and Joseph was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we're thinking, actually, she was probably 14, 15 years old. 14, 15. And he came to her and said, Greetings, the angel said to Mary, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Like, what? I'm just a teenage Jewish girl. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know, the Jews had been looking for the Messiah, the Deliverer, to be sent to his people, the Jews. It was prophesied 800 years before this. And at this particular time, they're living under the iron fist of Rome. Hard times, hard days. Hated by many. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Can you imagine the shock on this girl? What? Well, you'll see it in a minute. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will initiate the kingdom of God that will never end. It's a new day, Mary. It's going to be a new age. It'll never end. Your baby, Mary, will be born with the heart of a king. The king of kings. Lord of lords. And Mary said to the angel, of course she did, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Why Holy? Why the Son of God? Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. He came from God. God, in fact, was his father. Joseph was a stepfather. He was not a biological son to Joseph, and we'll talk about that later. He's holy, and he's able to do what no one who ever lived could do because he came from God. He's the only one that has ever been born from God. There has never been another conception from the Holy Spirit 
ever, never will be again. He stands alone. And behold your relative. Now, now Mary had a relative that was also pregnant. She was six months pregnant. And she was an older woman, and her womb was barren. So God went ahead of Mary with Elizabeth, and she received a baby miraculously through her husband because God opened her womb. So she says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And you knew who that was, don't you? John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin was John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And look what he says next. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Well, the title of the message is, With God, all things are possible. And that's stated, it's stated a few places in Scripture, but this is one of the places it was stated in Scripture was to a confused, virgin, bronze, Jewish teenager, teenage girl who was just told she's going to have a baby. And of course there was doubt in her heart as to the impossibilities of this. And all she needed to hear from the angel was with God, all things are possible. And look what she says. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So, just a little sidebar. For those of us who are here today, as I began the message with, that are up against like impossible situations. There's no way for change in my life in this area or someone else's. Well, I think we need to respond like Mary did. Lord, you're the God of impossibilities. Let it be so to me, according to your word, and I will trust you. Give me the ability to trust you. So every Christmas season for centuries, Christians around the world celebrate the most shocking and miraculous belief quoted in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. A lot of people through the ages that would say they had a faith in Christ drew a line when it came to that phrase. They drew a line. They said, no way. That's hard. That's confusing for me, though, because... Well, it was Travis last week, didn't he talk about, what did he talk about? God, the Father, creator of all universe? Did he talk about that, I think? You're supposed to remember. <laughs> so they'll believe in God, the Father, the creator all, of all universe. They'll even believe that Jesus is God's son. And they'll believe that he died on a cross and paid for our sins. 
But when it came to the virgin birth, they couldn't bluff it anymore. And if we're truly Christians, we bow our lives to the divine, the divine authority of God's word, period. Period. That kind of goes with the territory. Yeah, of course. Of course, the virgin birth is biblical and is fact just like the creation is. I heard a gospel preacher one time, a black gospel preacher. I'll never forget it. This is on the radio. He's talking about how God created the universe, and he said, the God of the universe flung the stars into the heavens. There was nothing for them to hang on, and he told them to stay there. If our God can create Adam and Eve out of dust and out of Adam's rib and this beautiful planet with just a thought, I think what he can do for Mary actually happened. Um, Now the phrase, think about this phrase. The Lord Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. That is the divine, sinless um, part of Christ. But he was born of a, a woman, a human. And so Jesus is both fully human and fully man. He's like 100% human. He was. And he's 100% man. Now this teaching on Christ coming to be born of a woman goes back as far as Genesis. I'm going to read you a couple passages. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is after the serpent tempted Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of evil that he was they were not supposed to touch and Adam followed his wife's lead and they both sinned and of course when God confronted them we had the first sign of our carnal nature and that is blaming someone else for our sin so God walks through the garden and says, Adam, what have you done? My wife made me do it. <laughs> really, Eve, what have you done? The serpent made me do it. And we're telling those lame, ridiculous reasons for our own sin to this day. It's always someone else, huh? devil made me do it. So after they sinned, um, there was a promise given to Adam and Eve. They're broken now. They're sinful. They instantly started aging. You know. 
it's kind of like one of, what was his name? The guy that does the, uh, uh, you know, going for the Ark of the Covenant, that guy. What was his name? Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford. <laughs> Indiana Jones. I remember one scene where, you know, someone had eternal life and, and the moment that it was disclosed or they touched the goblet or whatever it was, they instantly turned to dust. What's that? He chose, chose poorly. Yes, he did. And so did Adam and Eve. They chose poorly. So the moment they sin, all of a sudden, their eternal life, which they could have had, they started crumbling on the inside. They're going to die now. They're going to die. And so this is the message they got. Genesis 3.15, look there real quick, would you just, Genesis 3.15. This is the first mention of the birth of Christ in the book of Genesis. They don't say his name, but clearly it's referring to him. Because Satan, from that moment, thought he had destroyed God's plan. Verse 316. Verse, actually, it's verse 15. God is is talking to the serpent. God confronts Satan. Look at verse 14, actually. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking of Eve. I mean, he's speaking of uh, uh, Mary. And between your offspring and her offspring, and her son, offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So back in the garden, He confronts the serpent, the slanderer, the devil himself and says there's going to come a day that a woman is going to give birth to the king of kings and he will crush your head and his heel will be bruised. Satan is still here. The crushing of his head was when Christ was on the cross and he says, it is finished. But the serpent's not taken out until the end, thrown in a lake of fire. First sighting of Christ's birth, the virgin birth, first of them. Then Matthew, you don't have to turn to it, one eighteen says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Notice that's emphasis, emphasized. It doesn't say she was a virgin, but they make it clear that it was before they came together. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Galatians 4.4. I love this one. In the fullness of time... 
like the, from the beginning of creation to all eternity past and in the future. In the fullness of time, God brought, borth, brought forth His Son to be born of a virgin. By the way, interesting sidebar on this. When God allowed Christ to be born, his timing was absolutely perfect. I mean, it lined up with his prophecies. It lined up with when he wanted them, him to be in Jerusalem. It was just perfectly set. But in addition to that, it was really the first time in the world at that time that the Romans had carved out highways and freeways and roads so the entire known world was connected by way of travel. Secondarily speaking, there was the first time where there was a joint language. You know, you go to different countries, they say, you know, English might still be a first language here or whatever. It was the joint language of that day. It was Koine Greek, and everybody read and spoke spoke Greek. And thirdly, the Jews couldn't have been any more desperate under the rule of Rome. They were so desperate for the Messiah and the Deliverer to take them out under that rule, that iron-fisted rule. Of course, they thought that it would be more of a state deliverance, but Christ was talking about the kingdom of God, that kind of rule. So everything in the fullness of time lined up perfectly. God sent forth his son. The Old Testament talks about the exact spot he would be born in, Bethlehem. That's in Micah chapter 5. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be coming through a virgin. He's going to be your deliverer. And the other Old Testament verse was Isaiah. He said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us in the flesh. So this isn't new news. It's been prophesied for 800 years. In the last passage I want to show you, Turn to Philippians chapter 2. This really kind of says it all. Philippians chapter 2, New Testament, verse 5 through 8. We're just building a case here so we can be solidified in what we believe. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was part of the Trinity, is part of the Trinity, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but made himself nothing, King James says, of no reputation. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, so he came and he left his throne in all of the beauties and glories of heaven. 
He left that to come down to this place. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every, above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this passage for those who refuse to believe, for those who have mocked us, laughed at our faith, and think we're crazy. Even they If they breathe their last breath and they're shaking their fists at God's face, which I've seen one unbeliever do before he breathed his last. Every knee, even theirs. If they won't confess it on this side of heaven, they're going to confess it on the other side. Every knee will bow. And they will confess that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I don't feel good about them, but that's powerful. Okay. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The, the theological term for that is the incarnation. He was born of a virgin. God became man. The divine took on flesh and bones. Of the earth. They call it the incarnation. John says, chapter 1, verse 14, that he came, became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Never happened. The incarnation. The word carne means meat. Chili con carne. Praise God. <laughs> Chili con is with, right? Is con with? See. <laughs> Chili means with meat. Christ came and took on flesh. Incarnation. Now, when Paul, this is just another sidebar, Paul's teaching to the Corinthian church, and they are some carnal people. I am telling you what, a lot of them met Christ, but man, they were, you know, they were Christians, but they weren't living like, they looked like they were going to heaven. Very immoral town, still there, Corinth. And Paul wrote to them in Corinthians, and he said, I, I, would, I would hope that you would just grow up in your faith. But you're still babies. It's like you have to be fed milk. You're still babies. In fact, 
You are carnal. That is, you know the Lord, but you're still living like you don't. And you're living according to your flesh and your appetites. I preached a sermon one time called Christian Concarnate. The Incarnation. God became man. He had every feeling that you and I have. We know that he wept. We know that he was hungry. We know that he was tired. We know that he struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane as he clutched the ground and pleaded with God just for a brief moment if it was possible to take this suffering from him. We've all thought and prayed that before, I'm sure. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We read in Hebrews, he was tempted, he sympathizes with our weaknesses, Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses. And the reason he can do that is because he lived here. He went through every temptation you and I have. He went through every type of physical pain we've had. He was sick. He hit his thumb with a hammer while he was working for his father in the carpenter shop. No question about it. He was rejected. He had people desert him. His own condemned him to a cross which was part of God's plan. He felt it all. Therefore, he sympathizes with us. That's one reason he came. To feel what we feel. Um, Let's say a friend of yours, God forbid, lost a child. And you were really, really grieved for them. I mean, you couldn't sleep. You just wept with them and prayed for them. And you just couldn't do enough. You were heartbroken for your friend. That would be called empathy. But if you and I lost a child, uh, we would know what they felt and would actually show sympathy. We would sympathize with them because we feel what they're going through. The Bible says in Hebrews, he sympathized with us when he was here. He felt what we felt. You know, I've been to San Quentin a couple times. Uh, I wasn't a prisoner there, but I could have been. That's a different story. It's interesting. When I was 17, I was looking at the gas chamber being threatened that if I didn't clean up my life, that's where I would go. Then when I was 25, 26, I was a pastor and I was there visiting with people in the lunchroom trying to give them hope of the hope of Christ. So I was there a couple times for different reasons. <laughs> Anyhow, detectives sometimes, they would be called informants, 
go into the prison primarily to find out who did what. So they grow long beards and scraggly hair and they're dirty and, you know, they, you know, they're, they look like prisoners. They talk the talk, they walk the walk. Prisoners start feeling comfortable with them because he understands them now. And then they start opening up. And then they get popped. Christ came, came to feel what we feel and understand what we go through. He was God in the flesh, born of a virgin. By the way, I used to be in an evangelism group when I was a newer Christian, and we'd go, we'd go into homes and share the Gospels. I've told you that before. And we had all these illustrations of uh, um, biblical principles. And when we talked about the Gospel and we said he was both God and man, we would use some illustrations. And I remember uh, a lady that was kind of on my team, and she came up with a great, because people go, how can he be both God and man? And this lady came up with an illustration she had red hair, and her husband had curly hair. So she said, well, here's, how's this for an illustration? I have red hair, my husband has curly hair, and guess what? Our son has red curly hair. <laughs> I thought that's brilliant. Brilliant. Both God... And man, he felt our pain. He was born of a virgin. No one can describe um, him becoming a human like Max Lucado. You got to get this book. God came near. Get it for Christmas time. It's all about his birth and coming to earth here. I'm going to read a couple lines for you. No one can say it like this guy. God entered the world as a baby. He looks like anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God as fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. 
God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. Sorry if that's too uh, <laughs> offensive to you. He was a man. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something that we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There is something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. And here's the key phrase. Let him into the muck and the mire of our world. For only if we let him in, he can pull us out. And that's what he came for. That's why he was born of a virgin. The other reason he was born of a virgin is because if he was, if Joseph was his father, he would have been born into sin. Because of Adam and Eve's choice, all of us in our DNA, there was a sin nature. Only Christ, because his father was God, did not have a sin nature. Everyone else of us have. And so if Joseph was his father, he would have been born into sin. And the only sacrifice that could be made for the sins of the world was someone who was sinless. That was the only acceptable sacrifice. In the Old Testament, once a year on the Day of Atonement means that the priest would bring a little lamb in and sacrifice the lamb and sprinkle the blood on the altar. All of God's people would be forgiven on that day for all the sins the previous days. It's called the Day of Atonement. But the lamb that they had to sacrifice had to be without blemish perfectly white and clean. They were to take the best of the best lamb, which was to be offered to the Lord because he deserves the best. But it was only a 
lamb that was spotless, it was then acceptable to be slaughtered. And when I was raised in a Catholic church, I remember when we went to Mass and we took communion, we would always say before the priest gave us the bread, or he would say it to us, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That's who he was. That's what he did. So because he was born of a virgin, he was therefore sinless and the only acceptable sacrifice for your sin and mine. He took our judgment and our penalty for sin on him when he was on the cross. We also needed him to be born of a virgin because we needed a mediator. There's one mediator... Paul says, through God and man, and God was reconciling us to him through Christ. Through Christ. I have a little side company. Some of you know about it. I go into the workplace, and I do mediation. And so employee A and employee B can't get along. Employee A says it's black. Employee B says it's white. And they're both convinced that their color is right. They're at a stalemate. Actually, it sounds like marriage a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) They're at a stalemate. The bridge is down. So, they bring someone like myself in. Hear both sides of the story. Speak to them. They join hands, they make things right, and they're able to move on in the relationship. You and I would have never had any capacity on our own to make things right with God on our own. Only through the shed blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, He mediated between us and the Father. Before, Essentially, He's holding God's hand and ours. And he did that for us. Couldn't have, couldn't have met the Lord without it. He's our mediator. We needed him. Without the virgin birth, he's not God at all. And because of the virgin birth, he is God. Without the virgin birth, we would still be under the curse of sin. And eternal life wouldn't be waiting for us. This is why it's so significant in the Apostle Creed that he was born of a virgin, a gift from God. So in conclusion, the three truths that we find on the virgin birth is that he's fully God and fully man. He represents us to the Father, He was born without sin. Therefore, He is the only one that can pay for our sin. And lastly, lastly, it's because of Christ, born of the Virgin, that we have redemption. A sovereign act of God. I'll close with this. I've used this before. Anybody a photographer here? You like photography? Lift your hand. 
Well, uh, there you go. Okay. All right. Okay, we need you to take a picture of all of us afterward. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> if you were to take a picture, let's say that this green chair in the front row is red, bright red. So I want to take a picture of that green, ch- that red chair. We're going to call it a red chair. I'm going to take a picture of that red chair, but I want the picture, I don't want the picture to come out red. I want it to come out white. So what do I have to do to take a picture of a red chair and have the chair come out white? Does anybody know? You have to put a red filter over the lens and the chair will come out white. Now, when you usually ask a group of people what the color of sin is, they usually say black. But it's not black. It's red. Isaiah said, Though my sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they are like crimson, they shall be white as wool. So when, the, when God the Father sees us, He sees us through the lens of the blood of Christ. And when He looks at us, He sees us as white and clean and pure as the driven snow because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Thank you, Lord, for your truths in the Apostles' Creed and your truths more than anything through the Scriptures. And as we began this evening, Lord, we talked about Mary's response when the angel told her she will be with child as a 14-year-old girl. She didn't know how that was possible. And then, Lord, after she was told by the angel, with God all things are possible, she humbled her life and submitted to you. Lord, on that note, for all of us here, if we're stacked up against complexities and things that cause anxiety or wonders about how things could possibly work in this situation, would you give us the same faith Mary had as a 14-year-old girl And believe that with you all things are possible. And more than that, submit our life into your care. Trust in you all the way through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.